Hi, welcome to On Jordan, a podcast in the latest developments in Jordanian politics, featuring interviews with experts from across the Hashemite Kingdom. My name is Aaron Magid, a former Oman-based journalist now in Washington. Jordan saw a large protest this month over an increase in fuel prices. Abdullah Prishan, a truck driver in the southern Jordanian city of Ma'an, told Reuters, They have not left us with any dignity. Officials don't feel for us. We can't feed our kids anymore. Police fired tear gas at demonstrators in Zarqa, with some Jordanians burning tires on the main highway between the Dead Sea and Amman. Jordanian security officials also arrested union organizers who were calling for protests and attempted to deter the movement. In a somewhat unusual development, four Jordanian officers were killed during the unrest, though it remains unclear the motives of the assailants. On December 16th, Jordanian security services said it was temporarily blocking the usage of the social media platform TikTok as a means to bring calm to the Hashemite Kingdom. The U.S. Embassy in Amman also issued multiple security alerts restricting travel for U.S. Embassy employees to Ma'an, Karak, and Aqaba. To better understand this month's protests, it's great to welcome back Dawood Kutab to the podcast. Dawood is the Director General of the Amman-based Balad Radio. He's also a columnist for Amman's Palestine Post. Thank you for joining us, Dawood. Thank you, Aaron. So what started the latest round of the protests? Uh, what happened in uh, this last round started in January. In January, uh, prices of fuel products were very high, and so the government unilaterally decided to suspend their own tax. And for four months, they didn't collect the tax on the fuel prices. The uh, IMF, when they did their regular uh, review, noticed that the, the government didn't collect the tax, and so they asked them, you know, you have to fix this. So the Minister of Defense and the Prime Minister both committed that they will recoup the money that they did not collect from the fuel. So as a result, uh, they had to keep raising the price of uh, gas and kerosene and other things for the next eight months in a row, even though the price had gone down globally because they basically, they double taxed it, uh, the, the fuel. And that's uh, what caused, you know, anger on, on the population. And it really blew up uh, early in, uh, in December. Why was it important for the International Monetary Fund to keep the fuel tax? I think the IMF did not insist on fuel price uh, prices. They insisted on the Jordanian government living up to its own commitments of the revenue that they will collect uh, to the coffers of the government to to cover their own expenses. Uh, in fact, one economist said that uh, Jordan could easily replace the raising of the fuel tax by taxing tobacco or alcohol or some, some other items. So uh, the, I don't think the IMF cares whether it's fuel prices or whether it's tobacco. They just care that the government uh, lives up to its own promises of the money that they collect so that they can cover their own expenses. So how serious overall would you say the protests were? I think they were serious in the sense that they have exposed the fact that the public is not easily swayed and is not easily controlled and, and that uh, top-down policies are not going to work and that uh, people must be um, included in the decision-making process before a decision is made that affects their own lives. I think all these issues uh, point to the fact that governments deciding on their own and business as usual just will not work in a government, a country that is, you know, relatively educated, uh, certainly wired, and uh, not very happy with the, with the status that they're living in now, with the economy not doing very well. So given the deep frustration of protesters, how would you say the government and King responded to the demonstrations? 
the government, specifically the prime minister, was basically uh, missing in action. He really was not uh, seen or heard. In fact, uh, people blame him for the trigger because he had made a statement on Jordan television Friday night before the protest that uh, Jordan doesn't have the luxury of lowering the fuel prices. That was his term. And, and that angered people. And since then, I think he traveled to, to Saudi Arabia. Nobody knows why. And he was mostly missing in action. The king uh, also was quiet, although when the policemen were killed, he, uh, he paid the, the respect to the families and, and he was uh, supportive to the families of the deceased security. But he has not made any statements on the on the issue of the uh, fuel prices or the generally of what the government was doing. Since the protests in recent days have significantly decreased, couldn't one say that after a difficult initial period, from the government's perspective, it actually handled the demonstration successfully? Well, I mean, <laughs> yes, I suppose you could say it was successful. They paid a high price of losing four policemen, poisoning the atmosphere, uh, raising the anger of the population against them. If you call that success, yes, they were successful. I guess one could argue the government was successful for ending the large protests. Yeah, it ended it, it, it ended in the fact that the government did not surrender to the demands of lowering the fuel prices. But if you wanted to calculate the loss of, of in the economy, the loss as a result of the strike, I'm not sure that it would come out very well. So why have the protests declined so considerably? I think the killing, uh, the death of three Jordanian policemen plus the uh, the deputy head of the police in Man uh, created uh, sadness throughout the country, and I think it created uh, an atmosphere that just would not tolerate the continuation of the strike. I think there there was they had basically lost uh, the momentum that they had before, and and they basically had to. Accept whatever uh, you know was offered to them, uh, short of the lowering of the fuel prices. So um, I think that was the main reason that they that they had to accept uh, to end the strike. So did analysts say the protesters then behaved responsibly for taking into consideration the concerns of Jordanians? I think in general the protesters were quite normal in in the protests. The problem is that the main hub of the protest is a is a city on the borders and it's a smuggling city and uh, different people have different issues with the government and they basically I think piggyback on this case and hijack the fact that there was a lot of discontent and anger to the government and so they that allowed for the killing of the uh, police officer or the deputy head of the police and from then it was downhill because then the uh, tribe you know demanded that the killers be found and you know the government stormed the, where the uh, killer supposed the killer was hiding and uh, you know then they lost three more uh, Jordanian policemen so people are you know were not happy with the, that and and there is there was blame to them that they had allowed that to happen although uh, there was a lot of people who said that they had nothing to do with it. So in the end, it, they basically had lost steam. Have some protesters warned that if the government raises fuel prices again, they will go back to the streets? 
We have not heard of people saying they'll go back. Uh, I expect at the end of December we will see a lowering of the prices. Globally, the prices have gone down, and I think the government learned a difficult lesson. Uh, so I, I doubt that they will raise the prices. They might either lower it or keep it the way it is, but they will not raise it. Uh, I, I really would be quite surprised if they would raise it again. The individual who shot and killed the senior Jordanian officer in Ma'an on December 16th, was he a protester himself or someone who exploited the unrest to kill a policeman? No, um, the, the, there were four people that were killed. The first person that was killed, it seems to have been um, direct hit at the deputy head of the Ma'an police. Uh, some, some believe that it had nothing to do with the strike directly, but that it had to do with the, the government's general fight against uh, drug smuggling, because Ma'an is a kind of a drug smuggling or other smuggling town. Um, and so the person who was killed comes from the Bani Hassan tribe, which is the biggest tribe. And the tribe basically was very angry and told the government, you have one week to find out the killers. And so the government and the police started searching and they discovered apparently a hideout and they uh, tried to storm it, but they weren't very well protected. And three of them were killed before they killed the the guy who apparently is the one who killed the uh, the deputy head of the Amman police. Reuters reported security sources saying individuals following the ideology of ISIS were responsible for the killing of the three officers. Is this your understanding as well? The government didn't say specifically ISIS. The government said takfiriyin, which is a synonym for ISIS, but basically it's a radical fundamentalist who, uh, you know, are violent extremists. I don't know. We don't, we have no way of independently verifying if this person was a drug dealer or a smuggler or was he a, a takfiri. I think they, they know that Using this term is a term that is easy to, for the public to kind of accept and to deal with. And they understand, everybody knows that the uh, violent extremists are quite well trained. And so the fact that three Jordanian officers were killed somehow is justified because these guys are well trained or something to that effect. I don't know. But uh, basically, yes, um, this is what the government used, the terminology. They never said specifically ISIS, but they said takfirin, which means apostates or a radical violent extremist. So why hasn't there been any independent reporting about the incident where the three Jordanian officers were killed? Well, uh, Aaron, the, um, basically the uh, entire media and civil society space has been shrinking in the last uh, year or so. Uh, it's ironic that basically nobody was reporting the strike until actually the first uh, so-called agreement was reached. And the, uh, the media, which never reported that there was a strike, all of a sudden said, the strike is over. And it sounded funny, uh, but basically that's when they started reporting on the case. There is a video uh, by Al Mamlaka, the kind of the semi-governmental public service station, which shows the house that the uh, so-called uh, extremists were hiding in. It's a very simple house. It doesn't look, and it's, you know, they showed it littered with gunfire and so on, holes all over the house and the windows and so on. But that's the only thing that we actually know for sure. Now, the protests were larger in the southern Jordanian cities of Ma'an and Karak than elsewhere in the country. Why is this the case? 
Well, I would say there's two reasons. One is because this is the very vital route to the only port, the Aqaba port. And so uh, a lot of truckers live in the Man area. And uh, and so they are the ones who are hurt by the rise of the diesel prices. But also the, the Man area and the other southern towns are among the poorest in the in the Jordan. So the rise, especially in kerosene, which is a, a basic fuel for you know, heating stoves and heating uh, mechanisms um, are almost all using kerosene. So the rise of the diesel which for the truckers and the kerosene for the heating, uh, you know, oil uh, caused the, the big problem. There was, a, you know, ad hoc uh, protests in different cities, uh, other taxis, uh, delivery trucks and others for like an hour or two on different locations. They would hold uh, one or two day partial uh, protests. But basically, the the main strike was in the Mahan area. Now, TikTok made a lot of news during the unrest. What was the role of TikTok? Um, that's a good question because the government uh, blocked the TikTok and also blocked uh, basically the internet was blocked or until today people were complaining that the internet is, is very extremely low power in, in the Man area. I think uh, different because the media was not covering the story, uh, different individuals went to social media to record, you know, their statements or show pictures and uh, videos of what was happening and basically uh, debunking what the government was saying that the strike was over long before it was really over. To follow up, were mainly TikTok videos inciting violence as the government claimed, or there are a few cases of incitement on the app among thousands of other ordinary clips? I don't know enough to answer that question, but uh, certainly uh, TikTok is used by a lot of people and uh, for different things. Uh, and certainly it was used by the truckers and their supporters and so on. So it, it's hard to you know, differentiate uh, whether it was only used for uh, violent uh, incitement. Uh, certainly there was a lot of incitement on all social media. In fact, the, uh, the media commission is trying to get... Uh, all the media to tone down and to to regulate what people are saying, commenting on social media, which people um, the media refuse to do that. We cannot be the policemen of the government. Uh, that's not our job. But yes, uh, there are, there has been a lot of angry words, including against uh, His Majesty, and that I think upset them. And I think uh, they feel that the the words uh, incite to violence. When you mentioned the criticism against King Abdullah, was that reflective of the overall tone of the protest or is it more of a fringe view? No, it's not. Uh, it was haphazard or a few people did that, but not. Uh, no, most of the most of the protest was about the strike and it's mostly about the government. In fact, many of the protesters were saying uh, we call on his majesty, the king, to come and interfere and to get rid of the prime minister who was behind this. So, uh, no, most of the uh, protesters were against the government. So the trucker protests were the largest the country has seen in a few years since perhaps a teacher's demonstration. Do you think this month's protests will bring a strategic change? 
You know, it's hard to to understand the the mindset of of the leadership in Jordan. We don't know exactly uh, what they are planning. I mean, the last year saw three major modernization processes: the political, the uh, economic, and the public service, and they all uh, reflect a need and and uh, apparently a willingness to reform. So we're all expecting 2023 to be a year for political reform for the growth of serious parties, for generally good elections to take place that will start bringing people who uh, are more representative of the public or more willing to stand up to government. So everybody's expecting that, but until now we haven't seen the government uh, reflect that atmosphere in their decision-making process. So I don't know whether it's going to be like an immediate change from the heavy-handed government to when the elections happen and then there will be a change or whether it will happen on a gradual basis. We don't know. Have protesters found the government's plan to boost the economy unveiled in June or the Royal Committee for Modernizing the Political System tangibly helpful in their day-to-day lives? I don't think uh, the protesters uh, dealt with the modernization process. They dealt with one issue only, the prices of fuel. That's all they talked about. They refused to deal with other issues. They refused to engage with other issues. They refused to accept possible uh, ways to, uh, you know, make their lives easier, improve their income. They kept on saying we're only like uh, one issue that we believe in. It has to be for all the people. All the fuel prices have to go down. Of course, in the end, they did not succeed initially. Maybe, you know, in uh, eight days when the government does their monthly review, maybe they will bring down the prices, but the government would have basically uh, saved face and they would not have uh, surrendered to the demands of the protesters. So that that's what we're expecting. Um, but no, the uh, I don't believe that the protesters really have taken on the modernization issue yet. Well, that'll be all for today. Thank you very much, Dawood. I really appreciate your time. Good luck. That was Dawood Kutab, Director General of Amman-based Balad Radio. Here's what else you should know this week. Jordan hosted the second Baghdad Summit on December 20th. Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, Iraqi Prime Minister Mohammed al-Sudani, and French President Emmanuel Macron all attended the conference in the Hashemite Kingdom. In a somewhat unusual occurrence, Iranian Foreign Minister Hossein Abdel Hayyan also visited Amman and met with King Abdullah. The top Iranian diplomats stressed the importance of Jordanians' custodianship over the holy sites in Jerusalem. In other news, veteran opposition activist Leith Shuvilat passed away on Sunday from a heart attack at the age of 80. He served as member of parliament for five years and head of the engineer syndicate. He was also jailed multiple occasions. Before I go, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts to be notified of new episodes. And feel free to listen to previous week's episodes on Jordan's ties with Israel during the incoming Netanyahu government with Axios contributing correspondent Barack Ravid, and social media apps in the Hashemite Kingdom with former senior Facebook official Ashraf Zaytoun. Finally, if you're listening to the podcast, especially if you live in Jordan and think you'd be a great guest, or have an interesting idea for the podcast, please reach out to me on Twitter at Aaron Magid or via email, aaron.magid1 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.